a stranger with a gun came upon two teens taking pictures under a rising full moon. But violence is only the beginning of this story. Sometimes I thought, there are no miracles. Yeah, there are. And this is a big one. I'm Amy Donaldson, and I've spent my career talking about how lives are undone by violence. The Letter is a podcast about how lives are remade. Follow The Letter at theletterpodcast.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, and welcome to the Voices of Reason podcast. I am Jason Lee, along with my colleague and co-host, Amy Donaldson. Hello. And we are uh, having a candid conversation today with 1st District Congressman Rob Bishop, Republican of Utah. And I want to say thank you, Congressman, for joining us today. Well, it's my pleasure. Thank you for the invitation to be here. And uh, so we, we typically start out our this particular uh, kind of conversation asking uh, you to talk a little bit about you and your background and, and kind of what got you here. Uh, that's, that's a detailed question. I was, I was <laughs> we got a few minutes. Raised... Go ahead. We got, we have a few minutes. It's okay. <laughs> All right. Now I was born and raised in Kaysville, uh, in Davis County, but I've lived, uh, roughly the last 40 plus years in Brigham City, living in a, a home that was built at the turn of the 20th century. My wife and I are in Tantiques. We, uh, we raised our five kids there and sent them all on missions into college, um, I now have nine grandchildren. Um, I served, I, I got the background for this job, serving in the state legislature, where I actually served for uh, for 16 years. I was the majority leader and then the speaker, which ironically has a, makes a difference in the way people look at one back here in Washington. Um, but it also gave me a great deal of background on to how a legislative body works. And I think I've been much more effective because of that background, paying those dues. Um, I, I think um, back here, I don't know what I did wrong, but the speaker keeps appointing me to things. I've been in three of the last four conference committees, which works out the details of legislation. I was on the transition team when we made a lot of changes in the procedures. Um, he put me on the Article One task force trying to make rebalance the executive and legislative branches. And my favorite one now is, is something called STIGA, which is an acronym for something I don't know, but it's a concept of how we can actually come up and improve federalism. So reactions between uh, both the House, I mean, I mean, between legislature and local governments. And that's, that's one of my favorite areas in which I am working, in addition to the two committees that I have. And I guess the last thing I'm, I, I need to tell you is, as you know, um, there was a time when I was back here where I was um, a little, oh, well, okay, I was fat. So when I hit the 270 mark, it scared me, and I have lost 70 pounds since that time. Holy cow. How did you do this? I don't know. Okay. I did, <laughs> I, well, I quit eating as much, obviously. Yeah. But also my staff got me involved in playing a lot more racquetball ah. and getting involved. We Actually, we had a step challenge back here last year, maybe this spring, um, to count the number of steps everyone was taking. And uh, and I, the, our office, uh, basically most of the people in the office took part of it, a lot of other committees. I was very proud of that because I actually finished first among all the members. Mm-hmm. I, was, I was in the top ten overall, mm-hmm. only second in my office. That ticks me off. But top ten overall, and, and that, we were taking a lot of steps. 
which I probably need to do again because I don't think I've ever made what my average was since that competition ended. Which was, what was your average? Well, I was getting over, usually over 20,000 steps a day. A day? Yeah. Yeah. I I asked because I, during the Vancouver Olympics, I averaged 21,000 steps a day. See, now that's kind of cool. But yeah. so did you have to buy new shoes after doing that? <laughs> no, but I, I learned I took it to an excess because there was also another member of my staff I did not want to beat me, and I had to stay ahead of him. And I knew he was taking a 50-mile hike while I was stuck in meetings in Las Vegas. <laughs> so that night when we were done, <laughs> I'm sorry, I, well, I walked up and down the hall. <laughs> oh, okay. And just, just along uh, your offices? two hours. As people were wondering, you know, if I was an Alzheimer's patient that was lost, <laughs> but just to get the steps in, yeah, that's awesome. Well, I and I actually I think that's an interesting. Um, was it a health scare that motivated this, or was this just the opportunity to participate in the contest? What the motivated the loss of weight? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, I just became a. I became a, a aware. Well, I can't, I'm worried about how heavy I was actually becoming. I, wasn't, I didn't really have a health issue with it. Okay. It was just, um, and, and there were some negative parts about losing all that weight. Uh, the entire wardrobe had to go. I was going to say, you've got to buy a lot of clothes now. I yeah. did. Yeah. I did. I tried to get them taken in, and that just didn't work. Sorry. But. No, yeah. when you lose a 30-year weight, uh, that's, that's pretty good, or a quarter at least. So uh, we, we have about uh, a, a little over about a minute and a half. I wanted to... Uh, Kind of uh, ask you a little bit about you know when you first decided to run for uh, for state office and then and what made you made the, uh, the leap to say you know I think I should run for Congress. Well, look. First of all, I came from a family family that was always involved in politics. My dad was mayor when I was born. I thought that was the norm. I was in high school before I realized we were the strange family. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was always interested and feeling like it was an obligation to have to serve in some kind of capacity. So I enjoyed the state legislature. I retired at the end of that eighth term because I just felt it was time for me to go on and and let somebody else have that opportunity. And I was out of office for about eight years before Jim Hansen retired. And I realized that there were some people that would probably support me running for Congress, that if I waited for another office opportunity later on may not be there because I had friends that were also considering those other office opportunities. Um, so I just decided to do it, not really thinking I was going to be successful, but it was like all sorts of circumstances kind of fell together, and I was back here. And what would, uh, were you, am I mistaken, were you a school teacher? Yeah, yeah, I was. And so that was your, that was your regular job before now? Yeah. Do you miss that at all? Um, I think I enjoyed it more, Yeah. Okay. No, I, I, look, being a congressman is a hard job, uh, and anybody who thinks otherwise is uh, doesn't know what they're talking about. That's so. We, look, well, we all appreciate your efforts. It's time consuming, and I spend a lot of time on the planes. But on the plus side, I see a whole lot of movies, and I've got a whole lot of books read because of it. Can't beat that. Listen, we're going to come back and uh, start talking about some political priorities. We're speaking today, and we're having a candidate candidate conversation with Rob Bishop, congressman from Utah's first district. You're listening to the Voices of Reason podcast.
Welcome back to the Voices of Reason podcast. This is Amy Donaldson alongside Jason Lee. We are talking with uh, Congressman Rob Bishop, uh, who represents the 1st Congressional District. He's running for re-election with the Republican Party. And we're talking uh, – my question really is um, uh, somewhat uh, born of dismay and, uh, and of hope after talking to some of your staff. Um, but can you give us some insight? I mean, from our perspective, it looks like uh, the government on the federal level is – is is on fire is just a complete um, mess and and what is it like working in that atmosphere and is it possible to still get things done with such a polarized political situation um well yeah but first let me kind of push back against the premise because it is a common thought and attitude and especially it's permeated by a lot of the media that likes to show conflict and drama Mm -hmm. there has always been partisanship in washington and there have been times when it was far worse than it is today. Even going back to the, the very first session in New York, there was an example of Congressman Griswold of Connecticut and Congressman Lyon of Vermont. Griswold and some Lyon, Lyon spat in his face. Oh, uh, Griswold did not challenge him to a duel, which was common at the time, because he, he considered Lyon of a lesser, uh, lesser status. So the next day, uh, he actually came back with a, a yellow hickory stick and started beating the crap out of Lion on the floor, <laughs> who then rolled over to the fireplace, grabbed the tongs, and then started fighting back. So they had this, this caning duel. This actually happened? Yes. yes. Is, I, I know day, about this. Yeah. All day, fights were breaking out between Federalists and Jeffersonians. Um, I, uh, that doesn't happen anymore. In, in fact, in, in I think the 40s, there was a rules committee chairman by the name of Adolf Sabbath, from Illinois, and he did not get along well with Eugene Cox of Georgia. And he was, it was an issue that was on the floor. Cox came up to Sabbath and said, you promised me 10 minutes. Cox said, or Sabbath said, I can't give you 10 minutes. I'll give you three at the most. And they got in an argument over that, so Cox just hailed off and punched him in the face. Sabbath then returned with a couple of body blows, and then they were rolling and wrestling on the floor, going down <laughs> wow. the aisle. Now, so it could be worse, is what you're saying. Well, <laughs> or it has been worse, yeah. Let's face it, Sabbath yeah. was in his 80s and Cox in his 70s, so this was not an MMA battle. <laughs> oh, but my. If, if you look at what happens here, there is a whole bunch of bipartisan stuff that happens that no one ever talks about or hears about because it's boring to say that something passed on a voice vote. We have passed roughly 900 bills, up, up, almost 900 bills on the House floor. I would estimate that four to five hundred of those were done by suspensions, by voice vote, uh, the three hundred to four vote. In fact, we just voted on one that dealt with opioids that was almost four hundred to eight. So there's a lot of those things. The last couple of bills that I've introduced uh, that deal with the park maintenance backlog, I have the ranking Democrat on my committee as my co-sponsor. We also did a deal on LWCF where he is co-sponsoring my bill. Um, I have another one with Senator Wyden that's a bicameral, bipartisan bill on recreation issues. It happens a lot more, but you don't see it. So what I have to tell people is I think Washington sucks. However, it's not nearly as bad as is portrayed uh, if you're looking at the talking heads all day. Okay, so I need to have you do something for me because I, I like to believe that Amy and I particularly, uh, we, we try to be fair. But you know what? For the longest time, I have watched, and I recognize what you're saying is true because it's. Uh, you you're gotta, not the first person. You got to get eyeballs. That's right. Yeah, yeah. However, I don't feel like I hear enough from people like you, and other, you know, uh, uh, your colleagues. 
people are getting they, stuff they done. don't push yeah. back yeah they actually allow the the the, the, the re- narrative the, to exist the narrative yeah. to exist the vitriol we see uh you know this obstinance so why don't you guys and ladies uh do more to show people that we're not as divided because you know what a, a lot of the country believes we are um to be honest i don't know i don't know uh what motivates people to say what it is? Maybe it's just easier to, to play the role of. Like when I was in the state legislature, I was always giving a whole lot of, of self-deprecating jokes about the state legislature. I think you do the same thing kind of in Congress. Mm-hmm. But things are happening, and I'm, I'm yeah. sorry that that's not getting out. Maybe it is my fault that we're not doing it. My committee, for example, in the last two years has passed 220 bills in our committee. That's more than any committee has done in the last 25 years. 148 of those have actually passed the House. Only 50, 50 plus, 53 of those have passed the Senate. That's my frustration is not trying to work here, but trying to work with the other side, with the Senate, to have a whole bunch of different procedural rules that I dislike. Um, so I, I think I, I can't say it's, it's all wonderful here. There is a whole lot of frustration. I'm saying it's not... It's not as toxic as people actually think it is. Yeah. I just, I'm only saying that uh, I appreciate what you're saying, and I'm glad to hear you tell me this. Yes. I just wish that we would hear more of that, not just from you, and I, I'm not trying to put this all in your lap, but um, from you and other members of Congress to show you, you represent our country. You, you lead us, and somehow we have this, and, and I'm not saying the media doesn't play a part in this, but I also think to some degree, to a large degree actually, that you – you all have allowed this to continue rather than saying, hey, hold up, this is not how it's really working. This- uh, you may be accurate. Well, yeah. when we come back to the lame duck, we'll try and, and get some courses of kumbaya on the floor. To oh, see if, that. If, if, you know what? I'll, I'll be the first one to be watching that one. Well, right? and, I, and I would recommend, I don't know if you know about the app Accountable. Uh, it's an app that tells you when your representatives vote. And I would recommend people download that on your phone because it, it actually, like, I can tell when you guys are doing something productive because I get like 13 votes in an hour or, you know, I mean, it, it's a, there, there are ways to check it. But you're not the first person to tell us that. Um, we only have a minute left. But when we come back, I would love to talk to you about um, you've lately been talking a lot about wildfires and environmental issues and wildland issues. And I'd love to get some thoughts from you on that. And also, oh. I want to bring up uh, I cover military yeah. Uh, in my regular day job, and I'd love to chat with you a bit about uh, Hill Air Force Base as well. Perfect. All right. You're listening to a candidate conversation with Representative Rob Bishop. He is the first district congress- congressman for the Republican Party here in Utah, and this is the Voices of Reason podcast. Welcome back to the Voices of Reason podcast. This is Amy Donaldson alongside Jason Lee. We're talking with Congressman Rob Bishop, who represents the 1st Congressional District, uh, who is running for re-election as a Republican. Um, let's jump right into uh, um, the wildfire issue and public lands. Um, you've made some – just recently you've been in the news here in Utah about you know some of your proposals uh, to deal with wildfire issues. What, what are some of those? Yeah. let me. Can I preface this just with one? Sure. For sure. The House and the Senate are really very different bodies. Oh, yeah. And in the House, we make our careers in the committees. So the two areas you're going into are my committees. I'm chairman of the Natural Resources. I'm one of the senior members of the Defense Armed Services, the only Utah on an armed service committee. 
those are the two areas where I can go deep as far as the information. If you ask me something about another committee, you take me to Ways and Means, I probably won't know what the hell you're talking about. But at least <laughs> in these two areas, that becomes the yeah. area of, of kind of expertise. And that is how things get done in the House. Yeah. Senate functions wholly and a whole different approach to it, but in the House, the committees are essential, mm-hmm. and those committee assignments are critical for, for Utah. Mm-hmm. So I appreciate that. I'll, I'll get into the wildfires. Look, the, the issue at hand is that the, I think the House has done a wonderful job in passing some bills to help the wildfires. We This year, the wildfires, and anyone who breathes the air in Utah realized how bad this year was, mm-hmm. as we were basically breathing in the destruction of California. In the West, which has most of the federal lands, there's a lot of forest lands in the East, but most of those lands are private or state-owned. In the West, it's all done by the federal government. The goal of the Federal Forest Service is to treat 20% of the land a year to mitigate against the catastrophic level of fires. They actually get 2% done. So we went to the Obama administration's Forest Service, and then to the Trump administration's Forest Service said, what do you actually need to be able to hit that 20% standard? And they gave us what they needed. That was part of our forest resiliency bill that passed a couple of times in the House, but I have yet to get it taken up in the Senate because it was held up on procedural issues over by their rules. But it was important to them to realize that what the Forest Service wanted are categorical exclusions, so if they treat an area in X, and they go through all the, the paperwork to, to do that, and the area Y has the same characteristics, they can just move over and do it. Gotcha. What's happening now is every time they do X, they get sued before they start, and Y, they have to do all the paperwork again, and they get sued again. We also did what they wanted and limited the amount of litigation they had to go through. Mm-hmm. So it is, those are the two problems on what is causing the catastrophic wildfires. And I think the House has stepped up. I fault the Senate mm-hmm. for allowing special interest groups to go into legislators to threaten to filibuster those elements. And usually it's from special interest groups that make their money by suing the federal government. Uh, that's what's so frustrating to me on wildfires. So when you're facing kind of an obstacle like that where it's the other House of Congress that's not helping you out, is there a possibility of going to a Democratic senator in, say, somewhere like California um, that is, I mean, these people, I mean, what they're losing, that the, the human toll and, and the property loss is astounding to see if they would maybe join forces with you guys? One would think that would be possible. They <laughs> oftentimes were the biggest problems. Okay. Uh, let, me ca- let me put a caveat on that. Yeah. Senators from the eastern part of the country that don't have a whole lot of federal forest lands, mm-hmm. they have a very cavalier approach to it. Those were the ones that were putting holes and filibuster threats on these provisions. The, the senators that you're talking about from the West mm-hmm. uh, did not seem to care in getting involved in that process. Hmm. Interesting. So, yeah, we tried that. Uh, do you want to jump to uh, Hill Air Force Base, Jason? Yes. So uh, yeah. we and, know that it's, it's – And a, veterans' uh, issues, really. Uh, right. Yeah. And all, all together. It's, uh, Hill is uh, one of the bigger economic engines, particularly uh, in the Davis County, uh, Weber County area. What, what, do you, uh, what do we hope happens with it for the foreseeable future, I guess? Look, I, this is really positive, and I'm glad to do this. And I can do this. It may sound like a Chamber of Commerce speech. But it's really because Hill is considered vital to the Air Force as part of our, our defense strategy. And, and, and it goes through the, the 
vast variety of kinds of things they have at Hill. So the F-35 is there, there's a reserve wing that's there, all the depot work, ICBM work, computer work. They do uh, even storage, munition storage. They have so much, it would be impossible to replicate it. When I was first elected, uh, we were going through a base realignment closure process, mm-hmm. and we were very fearful that Hill could be on the chopping block. In fact, I remember an editorial coming out saying it would, it would test my mettle if, if I could actually get them through this side, and I really thought, thanks a lot for putting that on me. <laughs> but Hill survived not because of anything really I did or any other politician. Hill survived because the workforce in Davis County and Weber County, the work their civilian workforce, are so good. Mm-hmm. and because the community support for Hill Air Force Base is outstanding. And when we were having the debates over where to bed down the first 30, F-35, mm-hmm. showing the difference in the community support from Utah versus other states, specifically like Vermont, it was like night and day. Mm-hmm. So it is the quality of the people and the quality of work that's done there. To now, Hill is, on one list, they were like the third most significant base in the Air Force. But it it, it, you could not replicate what's happening. So I feel very comfortable for Hill. Uh, obviously, we want to be vigilant. And we're always going to be working, and we're trying to get new missions coming to Hill all the time, mm-hmm. uh, and we're pushing for that. But at the same time, it's the people that work there that have made Hill a success story, and one that I think is going to be viable, into the, well, after I'm gone anyway. And real quickly, uh, yeah, the, I, the uh, Jobs Act? Well, no, let, let's. I actually want to ask you, the Department of Interior, do you think that's actually going to move to Utah, or is that uh, just a pipe dream? It's going to move west, and okay. I think we're definitely in the one of the finals for it. Mm-hmm. Um, I think if it moves to the west, it ought to move to Utah. Mm-hmm. I think we are geographically in the center of most BLM land anyway, mm-hmm. and we have uh, access to airports, both in Salt Lake as well as in these other areas, that would be uh, that would be outstanding. So, I think it will happen. It will be moved out to the west. I think that's going to be a positive. And I also think Utah has a, a really good chance of, of doing that, of getting it. That would be very interesting, wouldn't it? Yeah, I would love it. Listen, we're going to continue our candidate conversation with Representative Rob Bishop, Congressman from Utah's 1st District. Uh, you're listening to the Voices of Reason podcast. We're having a candidate conversation. Welcome back to the Voices of Reason podcast. I am Jason Lee, along with Amy Donaldson, and we are speaking today. We are having a candidate conversation with Representative Rob Bishop, Congressman from Utah's first district. And uh, just uh, one more thing uh, before we get away from priorities in general, I did want to ask you about tax cuts and jobs, and and how our economic future in Utah looks pretty bright right now. Uh, is is it? Can we say the same? You know, for uh, our state going forward. I, I think definitely. In fact, today on the floor, our vote, the last vote we did was on making those tax cuts permanent. Uh, but they've had it. They've had a wonderful effect. I think uh, the amount of people uh, that have had uh, tax breaks on the family credit, some are, I think, I, like, I can't remember the exact number. It runs to my mind something like 70,000 people in my district were able to take advantage of that. But you've seen it in businesses. Uh, you know, Gail Miller gave a $1,000 bonus to nearly 10,000 employees in the Miller Group. Uh, Dominion Energy and Pacific Corps have always, uh, already lowered their utility bills in response to the tax savings. Um, Sky West increased the size of their bonuses and the 401k contributions. So businesses, especially small businesses like U-Haul Lowe's and Home Depot, 
they have all, at McDonald's, they've all been able to give greater benefits to their employees as well as saving money, and I think that spurs on the economy as well. So I'm, I, I think it's been a tremendous success. It's the right thing to do, and I'm very proud of how it, I think it, it helps common people in the state of Utah. Thank you so much for that. Yeah, let's move a little bit to some personal stuff. I I like to ask the candidates um, if there's something in your life um, that you've overcome or, you know, sort of what's one kind of pivotal challenge that you've faced as a person? Uh, you know, I'm going to be really boring with you. I think I've had a very easy and and lucky life. I, I, no, I really, there is nothing like some debilitating disease or alcoholism or something that I had mm-hmm. to overcome. I really think I have been blessed and I have been fortunate. Uh, part of that is because I married somebody far above my, my level and my <laughs> abilities who is, who is just a great person and friend. And we've had kids that have been excellent mm-hmm. kids. Uh, I, I just think I'm lucky. Another, hey, look, we should all be that lucky, right? That's that's not a bad thing Maybe at all. Maybe your challenge is where you have to work, see? We don't know. <laughs> right, right, right. So uh, have you had a... Um... <laughs> well, you know, there is that old saying that the Lord challenges those he loves. So <laughs> That's right, right? <laughs> Maybe I got a problem on that, that level. Nothing wrong with that. Hey, listen, uh, have you had someone in your life who's kind of been your role model or somebody you, uh, you've thought of as, as a mentor? Um, actually, yeah, they, there are some people... Back home when I was growing up that I always looked up to, I think politically, I have to admit, um, I was coming of age when Barry Goldwater was running, mm. and Goldwater has always been an icon for me in some way. Um, I, I, I look at the founders that wrote the Constitution, and I've studied them a lot. Each and every one of those played a significant role. Sometimes people don't realize uh, names like James Wilson and John Dickinson, but they were pivotal in a lot of things that actually happened in the way our government is is organized and structured. And to be honest, George Washington um, is the only person that could have led this country at the beginning. You have to rank him as the number one of all the presidents simply because of all those issues that were huge and outstanding. He was able to manipulate them and move them forward and and get it accomplished. I, I don't think people give him enough honor, enough credit for what he was actually able to accomplish. Do you have a favorite uh, mantra or motto that you uh, use in your life? Um, uh, no. Well, it's probably something your mom told you. A lot of mine come from my mother, you know. Don't cut off your nose to spite your face, stuff like that. <laughs> or... Get out of the kitchen, or right. <laughs> oh, give me some I, spacer, son. I actually do have one. It was, I think, C.S. Lewis okay. who once said, "If you do first things first, second things will be added to it. If you attempt to do second things first, you will accomplish neither first nor second things." And often, in a lot of our issues, mm-hmm. people want to jump ahead to the final product and not realizing you got to lay the groundwork and do first things first. I think that's one of the things I've tried. To, I've tried to understand. I, can I give another one though? Yeah, certainly. Sure. Yeah. Because, um, and I don't know how much time you actually have, so I'll try and cut this short story short. When mm-hmm. I was first elected to the legislature, I had been a debate coach, mm-hmm. and I recognized that in debate you try and wait till your best evidence you throw at the end, and then you overpower them opposition with content and logic and everything else. 
And I tried that in one of my first legislative meetings. I had an education proposal. I don't know what it was, but it was mine, so I had to be brilliant. And I, wait, and I gave just brilliant evidence and proof that it was the right thing to do. And I remember a state senator, who was one of my favorite people from rural Utah, looked at me and he kind of said, Rob, you're absolutely correct. I'm not voting for you, but you're absolutely correct. And I was dumbfounded. And I realized then, as I finally got over that fact that, you know, you said I'm right. How come you're not voting for me? That you have to convince people's minds and people's hearts. That's right. And that anything, any proposal I have, I need to take time to allow it to people to think about it and ruminate so they feel comfortable. It's not just a matter of winning on the points because I'm smarter and brighter. You've got to actually convince people's hearts that this is the right thing to do. And sometimes that takes a lot of time and a lot of, a lot of effort. Yeah, and I and I'm patient. I think that you have to, people have to feel good about the policy, not just yeah. understand it. Uh, do you have a favorite book? Uh, like everyone, when I was a kid, I read 1984, which had an impact on me. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Uh, All the King's Men mm-hmm. is probably my favorite novel, although it's quasi biographical by Robert Penn Warren. I've always enjoyed that one. Mm-hmm. Okay, and uh, so in about a minute and a half, why should people uh, reelect you? Well, as, as I said at one of the other segments, uh, in the House, it really depends on the committee, and committee assignments are essential. It's important to get on the, first, the, the correct committees for your district right away and then build up the seniority. So I'm chairman of the one and ranking member of Armed Services. I think that puts me at the right place at the right time to do the best I can for the constituents in Utah. I've also said... Uh, that as soon as my chairmanship is up, and they're term limited here, so I have two more years in which I can be chairman of the committee. When that is up, I will minimize or decline in my effectiveness for the for the state and constituents, and that's when I want to quit. So I got I want one more term because I can still be chairman, and at the end of that, I intend to retire and come back to Utah. Well, awesome. That's awesome. Listen, I want to say first again, thank you very much. Amy always is great. By the way, you up. live in Brigham City. Say hi to my brother. He also lives in Brigham City. So he, he <laughs> married a, a woman from the Stokes family, if you know them. So I'll, re- yeah. I'll be happy to. <laughs> Again, I want to thank uh, Representative Rob Bishop, First District Congressman from uh, U- I mean Utah's First District, uh, representing a Republican here. And he has been very kind to join us today. Join us for the next episode of the Voices of Reason podcast. If uh, you have comments about our show, please contact us via email at voramed at gmail.com or at vorjasonl at gmail, or you can find us on Twitter at adonsports and at jasonlee1. Our show's Twitter handle is at vorpodcast, and you can check out our Facebook page where you can also find and subscribe to episodes of our podcast on Google Play, Apple Podcasts, and other places where you might find interesting podcasts. Be sure to uh, review our show as well. We love to get your feedback, and it helps us grow our audience. Until next time, I'm Jason Lee. When you engage in passionate debate, do your best to keep your dialogue civil. Try to be the voice of reason. Yep, you're still there. Hello? Can you still hear us?